Welcome, ankle biters. You've stumbled on the Firefire's Firefetched Fables, the home of tall tales, old chestnuts, fish stories, and other unassorted yarns. We mostly cater to the young'uns here, but you grown-ups can have a listen, too. If you have a mind to, tap on the follow button on your podcast app or find us on the Facebook. In the meantime, turn off the TV, put down the cell phone, get yourself a glass of warm milk, and settle in for some old-time storytelling. Tonight's episode... Chapter 9. Paul Bunyan Logs Off the Dakotas. It was at his famous Red River camp in North Dakota that Paul Bunyan began to work along the more systematic lines which changing conditions were causing him to adopt. Other operators were following in his footsteps, though of course they did their logging on a much smaller scale and were establishing camps here and there over the country. In order that his logs might never get mixed up with those of anyone else, Paul began marking everyone cut by his men. Nowadays, lumbermen mark their logs with big lumber crayons, made especially for that purpose. But Paul put his mark on each of his logs by pinching a big piece out of it with his fingers. It was about this time, too, that he invented the bookkeeping system for lumber camps that has been used ever since. His operations in the Dakotas and afterwards were on such a big scale that it became too much trouble for him to keep all the details in his head, though he probably could have remembered everything that went into the books if he had found it necessary to do so. So it was that Johnny Inkslinger made his appearance among the great loggers' helpers and served with the utmost faithfulness through many years. Johnny Inkslinger was the first lumber camp bookkeeper, or camp clerk, and he was a most efficient person. During his first winter with Paul, his marvelous ability saved his employer a good many dollars in various ways. For instance, he hit on the plan of leaving the dots from the I's and the crosses from the T's when writing in the camp books, and in this manner saved Paul nine barrels of ink on the payroll alone. There was never a shortage of pay in camp while he was in charge of the books, and never an overcharge, although he alone had to keep the records of thousands of men and complete reports of the millions of feet of logs that were cut. He used six barrels of ink a week just in the addition of figures alone, and no one knows how many more in his multiplication and subtraction and in the thousands of letters he had to write. He always wrote with a fountain pen, which he had invented himself, and which was attached to a barrel of ink by a hose. Once the ink started running through his pen, he never stopped writing until the barrel ran dry. In addition to his bookkeeping, he also was the camp dentist and doctor, and as such, he made many wonderful cures that would puzzle the most expert specialist of today. Altogether, he had so much to do that it was lucky he needed only four hours of sleep a week, which gave him more time for work than the average man cares to think about. It was during this period that Paul Bunyan made his greatest reputation, for it was in the Dakotas 
and in the lake states afterwards, that he did most of those things which have made his name one that will always endure. It is positively known that he logged off North and South Dakota. For who else could have removed the trees so cleanly from those states, and that he did it all in one winter? Also, he did all the work from one camp, for no remains of logging camps have ever been found farther west than the Red River. This was a record for even such a mighty man as he. And he was able to accomplish such a task chiefly because of the help he received from the seven axemen. Fabe, the great blue ox, did heroic service, of course, and so did the big Swede, Johnny Inkslinger, and in fact every member of the mighty crew. His chief helpers in all, however, were the seven axemen, and by their labors that winter, they proved themselves to be just about the greatest woodsmen that ever lived. Knowing the heroic deeds they performed, no one can doubt that the Dakotas were logged off in just one winter, for the efficiency of these gigantic cousins was such that more time in which to do the task could not possibly have been used. Paul had used the axe handle in the east and continued to supply handles for all of his men, except the seven axemen. These great fellows he equipped with enormous double-bitted axe heads, tied to long cables instead of being on handles. The method used by the axemen was to stride forward in line with one another, swinging their axes in great circles as they advanced. At each swing, they cut down a section of timber as a scythe cuts down a swath of grain. Since the trees all leaned so they fell evenly and didn't get tangled together, the gangs that followed the axemen made fast progress in cutting the fallen trunks into the proper lengths for logs and piling them for skidding to the river. Paul occasionally got out his three-mile crosscut saw, and with the little chore boy holding down the other end, he also felled vast stretches of the leaning pines. He had so many other things to look after, however, that he worked with his saw only part of the time, trusting the seven axemen to do most of the felling, and well did they live up to his faith in them. It is said that his crews cut over a million feet of logs a day during the winter in the Dakotas, and most of this work was done by the seven axemen. Each of the axemen had five fleet-footed helpers, who did nothing but carry dulled axes back to camp and bring out fresh, keen ones again. The problem of keeping the seven axemen's blades sharp was, at first, a troublesome one. There were no hills in the Dakotas steep enough for them to sharpen axes, as they had done in Maine, and so a new way had to be found. Well, said Paul to himself, since we can't use stones as they roll downhill... Why can't we have a big stone that can be turned while it stays in one place? So he smoothed off a great flat piece of rock, shaped it perfectly round, and made a square hole for a handle in the center so that it could be swung up into a trestle and turned by hand. Thus was the problem solved by Paul's invention of the grindstone, a most valuable invention, as everyone will agree. He had bad luck with the first two grindstones he made, though. 
The first one he laid aside after shaping the stone as he wanted it, intending to put the handle on it after he finished making the trestle to hold it. While he was working on the trestle, Hard Jaw Murphy, one of his men, came around the corner of the tool house, smacking his lips and picking his teeth with a peavy. That's a mighty good brand of cheese you're getting for this camp now, Mr. Bunyan, he grinned. I just found a whole cheese back yonder a piece and ate it all up. And he winked his eye in good humor, proud of having gotten ahead of the camp steward, who was very watchful of victuals between meals. Cheese, exclaimed Paul, rather put out. That wasn't a cheese, you dunderhead. That was my new grindstone. And as punishment, he set the astounded logger to shaping another stone, just like the one he had made away with. The second grindstone was soon finished and mounted, and it was a very large affair. It did the work of sharpening tools quickly and well, and was very popular with all the camp except the little chore boy, whose task it was to turn it. He finally got so tired of sharpening axes with it that one day he became very angry and threw it out of sight. Paul came along a few minutes later and saw that his new invention was missing. What has happened to the grindstone? He asked in surprise. I got tired of turning the thing, so I threw it away, said the little chore boy sullenly. Indeed, he had flung it so hard and thrown it so far that it had sailed clear across Minnesota and landed in northern Wisconsin, where it sank deep into the earth, digging an enormous hole. The great scar it made when it fell later filled with water and became Grindstone Lake, as anyone can easily see from a map. Oh, well, it doesn't matter very much that it's gone, said Paul, his eyes twinkling. It was getting too small to do the work anyway. So the little chore boy didn't gain anything after all. For the very next day, Paul made a new grindstone that was much bigger and harder to turn than the other one had been. It is said that this new one was so big that every time it turned around three times, it was payday again. In all of Paul's work in the Dakotas, Babe, as always, proved of great help to his master. There were some districts which were far from any stream that was big enough to float logs. And so, Paul thought of a way to use the great blue ox's tremendous strength in getting this timber nearer water. He would hitch Babe to a full section of land and drag the whole thing, trees and all, down to the river right handy to the camp. There, Paul's men would cut the timber from it, pile the logs on the banks of the stream, and then Babe would haul the cleared square mile of land back to its proper place again. In this way, Paul was able to log sections that he otherwise never would have bothered about and never would have been able to touch without the unique assistance of the great blue ox. It took Babe just one day to haul six sections of land down to the river and then take them back again after the trees had been cut off. That made 36 sections a week. The first week, however, that this plan was put into place, Paul had the ox haul section 37 down the last thing on Saturday night, 
intending to leave it there over Sunday and clear it off the first thing on Monday morning. On Sunday, the river rose, washed the section away, and it has never been found since. That is why all government survey maps today show only 36 sections to a township, as Paul Bunyan lost section 37 and never recovered it again. And so, his mighty crew working in all directions with a vigor and efficiency that has never been equaled Paul Bunyan progressed rapidly through the winter with his task of logging off the Dakotas. Finally, as spring came on, he finally discovered that all the big timber of the two states had been cut off and that some of his men had even worked down into Nebraska and Kansas, clearing off all the trees as they went. Hastily ordering everyone to cease work, he reassembled his men once more at the big camp to await his next orders. Throughout the Dakotas, all the timber that was now to be found was a few patches, here and there, of small trees not big enough for logs. He looked around for a market for these and found it with a railroad that was just being built across the country. The railroad needed wooden ties for its tracks, so Paul turned most of his men into tie hacks or tie cutters and proceeded to dispose of all of his small timber in the form of railroad ties. He trained the cutters to climb the trees with 40-pound broad axes strapped to their feet like skates, scoring great slashes into the sides of the trees as they went up. Once at the top, they would slide down again, the heavy blades on their feet slicing off the wood in opposite sides of the trees, hewing two flat faces at once, so that the timber was just of the right thickness. After they had learned, also, to cut off a tie every eight feet as they slid down, they worked very fast, having only to climb up a tree and slide back down in order to manufacture it into the railroad ties. Finally, even all the small trees were used in this manner. The ties hauled away, the logs delivered long ago to the sawmills, and the camp cleaned up. Nothing was left of the great forests that had stood on these vast stretches of fertile land excepting the stumps, and Paul soon got rid of them. He picked out the very strongest men of his crew and armed them all with heavy wooden mallets. Then, he himself leading the way, they started out. One blow was enough to drive the biggest stump far down into the ground, and so, thump, thump, faster than anyone could count, and Paul's men pounded all the stumps out of sight into the earth. It was only a day or two until there was not a stump left in sight, nor a tree either, nothing but miles and miles of rolling plains where once the forests had stood and the hugogs roamed. The work on the Dakotas was finished, and Paul Bunyan was ready to move on to other fields. The senator who had hired him was very much pleased with the work and thanked him in a speech so long that it could be repeated only in the congressional record. Before summer had come, the two states were being settled by the Swedish farmers who had been driven out of their own country, and they soon made fine farms where the leaning pines had stood so thickly only a year before. That's why, today, there are so many Swedes in North and South Dakota thanks to the great work of Paul Bunyan. Well, what do you know? 
My grandfather, that is to say my far far, was a Swedish farmer too. I wonder if he knew old Paul Bunyan. No matter. You can get to know what happens to Paul next if you come on back and listen to Far Far's Far Fetch Fables on this and just about every other podcast channel you can think of. Now go on outside and play, you little rascals. Far, far.